views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery... Peace and welcome once again to the Abolitionist Daily. This is our daily program, which is a direct offshoot of the New Abolitionist Radio regular weekly program, also here on the Black Talk Radio Network. This is a <clears throat> Johanan Elia. Your host, abolitionist, activist, actionist, man that is disgusted at the state of affairs in this country called America that they raised me up in and told me was my home, but I realize now that I am behind enemy lines. I am a member of a domestic colony. I am the offspring of individuals who were brought here specifically for the purpose of providing slave labor hundreds of years ago and over those generations since we have become our own self-supplying resource of modern day slaves and this is made possible by the 13th amendment legislation that is set up specifically for the descendants of slaves and for the slaves during the, the time period of the 1860s when the Emancipation Proclamation was brought to pass, this 13th Amendment, which declares that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Well, when that was passed, the slaves were black folks. And I'm not here to argue with you whether we're all from Africa or whether we're from Mars and we landed here and I mean I've heard so many different versions of what black folks history is where we come from people want to argue about everything about the situation other than the fact of the matter is your melanin guarantees yourself a place in the slave chain in the years ranging between the mid to late 1400s 1500s, 1600s 17, 18 and even through the 1900s in disguised forms such as convict leasing, debt peonage, pig laws, vagrancy laws, black codes, Jim Crow, and on and on until this day where we see the continued persecution of people of color, poor people, which people of color are always among the leading numbers of the poor, but to see this continued uh, exploitation of, of uh, American citizens overall at the uh, hands of the prison industrial complex, and we make the connection directly to the 13th Amendment, which is the financial incentive, if you can just make a person, a, convict a person of a crime, 
or basically just make a person have some interaction with law enforcement whatsoever, you can begin to wring out their pockets. And once you've gotten everything out of their pockets and out of their savings and out of their friends and their families' pockets and their savings, and the person is destitute and has nothing left that you can you can squeeze out of them, well, then you can prosecute them for not having enough money to pay your fines. You can put them in jail or in prison. Once they're incarcerated, now you can subject them to corporate, contracted slave labor. So, today, April 9, 2015, here on the Abolitionist Daily, we'll be discussing these very issues in depth, uh, news and headlines. Discussing, first, we'll be getting into a discussion on Aramark. And I've, I've hinted at Aramark as we've discussed other correctional vendors since this program has been coming on the air, but we haven't done just a straight up expose on Aramark as yet and really provided for you the size and scope of their operations worldwide, uh, the, the money, the contracts that they get with state prisons, uh, state departments of corrections, uh, private uh, prison companies, um, the lawsuits that have been set out against them, the criminality that uh, is rampant within their corporate ranks, um, we've just, we haven't, we haven't taken time to really go too deep into Aramark. We've, we've exposed, like, for example, Corizon several times. And we've even discussed Wexford Health, um, a company very similar to Corizon, not quite as large in size, but very similar in exploitation and size of contracts that they're able to get from states. Well, we haven't discussed the food providers, which Aramark is the leading uh, correctional canteen provider uh, in the nation, quite likely in the in the world for anyone that provides uh, these type of services for prisons. So we're going to look at um, Aramark today and just give you a little bit of the history of what they've had going on here. You know, even recently with uh, serving inmates, literally serving inmates garbage uh, food that was in the trash, serving um, serving uh, enslaved individuals on the plantations. Um, food prepared in maggot infested kitchens, um, poisoning inmates. There's lawsuits going on right now from inmates claiming they have been poisoned by the food. Um, and just on and on, just ridiculous injustices going on. Um, we're going to look at, you know, how this, uh, today's show is kind of themed towards the Eighth Amendment. Um, and the idea of how we're treating our people is, you know, is this, does this warrant cruel and unusual punishment? Um, the Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution was ratified in 1791, um, and it has three provisions. One against um, excessive bail, one against excessive fines. And the one we're discussing today uh, specifically is the one that's against uh, cruel and unusual punishment, which restricts, supposedly restricts the severity of punishment, <clears throat> excuse me, punishments that the state and the federal government may impose upon persons who have been convicted of a criminal offense. And quite honestly, if we discuss slavery in terms of the inhumanity that it represents 
in American application and surely throughout the world, but we know for a fact what went on here in America and the, the, the signs of it psychologically, uh, physiologically, financially, politically, um, and on and on. These are all the uh, lasting effects of slavery that went on for hundreds of years in America. And, I mean, how could it be anything other than cruel and unusual treatment of individuals so if by the 13th Amendment you can be made a slave if you're convicted of a crime, the Constitution itself contradicts itself within its own words. Because how can you have an amendment to your Constitution that says that um, you're restricting the severity of punishment that a state or federal government can impose upon a person who has been convicted of a criminal offense, and then a few amendments on down the line you say that Slavery and involuntary servitude is is abolished, except when a person can be convicted of a criminal offense. So, I mean, these are the things that we talk about here on Abolitionist Daily within the uh, New Abolitionist Movement overall. Um, so, we'll be looking at Aramark and looking at the uh, the sick situation going on in the in the prisons that they are contracted to provide food services to. Um, we're going to visit again our good friends at Corizon because there are Corizon nurses right now who are threatening to sue and we've discussed before how Corizon has thousands of lawsuits currently against it as it is but these nurses are threatening to sue because they're on the hook for this this uh, cruel and unusual treatment and they're claiming understaffing um, poor training uh, we know our our uh, friend to the abolitionist community and claims himself as an abolitionist uh brother George Mallincrott down there in uh, down there in Florida back and forth uh with the uh, uh Florida State Senate and currently testify well not at the moment but testified here recently before the uh Florida House I believe um, subcommittee on uh, criminal justice and working to try to get uh, needed changes. He's an advocate for the mentally ill in, in uh, on the prison plantations. Um, was an employee at Dade Correctional Institution when uh, at the the same facility where Darren Rainey was boiled to death in the in the locked in a hot shower, boiled to death till his flesh came off of his bones. Um, Randall Jordan Aparo. He was there, I believe, also uh, during that time when he was, was beaten and locked in his cell and then maced, chemically maced to death until um, his body was coated with a, with literally coated with a slime of chemical mace. And when they moved his body off of the cot in his cell, there was a, a, a body line imprint against the wall with a thick coating of mace all against the wall and the imprint where his body had been, like to show you clearly how much how many cans of mace they must have emptied out on that man and murdered him there. Um, George Malacrot was, uh, was a psychotherapist at Dade uh, Correctional Institution where these things all went down. And uh, he was there contracted by Corizon. And he has come on the programs pre uh, previously, on New Abolitionist Radio program previously, and discussed with us, you know, how there was no training. There was, there was really no handbook given to them explaining, you know, what their jobs really were, what the interaction was. It was said it was his first time ever working in a in a prison setting. 
So he didn't know what abuse really was. He didn't know what was going on in the prison was, you know, was, was wrong and illegal. I mean, other than his own moral compass, but to not have it, you know, in handbooks and in manuals and explained and have the law in front of him to know what he was witnessing was wrong. He began to, uh, blow the whistle as it were, trying to you know, send the information up the line. Um, you know, through his superiors all the way up through, uh, and including the uh, office of the attorney general. And for his trouble, he was released from his contract. He was uh, set free from Corizon. So we'll look at also today how um, nurses in uh, Alameda County, California, are threatening to go on strike. As we discussed on this program previously out there in Alameda, Alameda County uh, Sheriff's Department using Corizon and the deaths that have resulted uh, in their facilities, um, these nurses are looking to to uh, break free of their situation and either get some sort of a, a improvement to, I guess, cover their own tails or possibly uh, implicate Corizon even further for their criminal activities because most definitely what they do is criminal. There's no way around it. You can't have 1,300 lawsuits against you. Um and you know and be legit so <clears throat> excuse me today's theme for the program is exploiting the enslaved um so you know we've talked about the food we've talked about the health care um we're going to be talking about just general conditions we've got a, a story coming out of the, the guardian newspaper the uk paper based paper that uh, does a lot of exposés of american isn't it interesting the guardian or russian times you know, these are uh, publications, you know, obviously this is all a propaganda war, the, the battle for the hearts and minds. Um, but it's always interesting to me how it's very rare that we get these exposés from American-based news outlets. But there's so much information that, you know, these these uh, other people find and, and point out what's going on in America. And it's like America just really has no clue that these such things are even going on, like the Holman Square situation, uh decades potentially of uh, police operating black sites, snatching people off the street and not, you know, letting them see their families or find access to their attorneys. This type of thing was going on for so long, and it took The Guardian to speak out on that, and now all of a sudden, you know, Chicago's outraged. And interestingly enough, they recently had their uh, elections there for mayor, and I don't remember it uh, hearing it become a huge factor in just like we talked about Rick Scott and Charlie Chris in Florida with the governor's race. I mean, that should have been a factor in people voting, you know, uh, for the, for the mayor of Chicago, but it was mentioned. And I guess Rahm Emanuel as the, as the, you know, sitting mayor said something to the effect of he was going to make sure it ended or whatever. But I mean, at this point it has gone on the, the total time that you've been in the office of mayor, you haven't done anything to stop it. We need more than you talking about it. If you want to get that job again, you need to shut it down before we go to the polls. If you don't, we're just going to take that as you saying that you're not going to do it. You have the power. Well, it's illegal to have it. So there shouldn't be any power, any problem with you immediately going and shutting it down. We want to see uh, boards put up on the doors and windows. We want to see the doors locked and chained and put armed guards in front of it so nobody goes back in front of there. It goes back in there. How about that? Show us a, a sign of faith that is closed for real. And then we'll go to the polls and make sure you still have a job. They should have demanded of, of this uh, Chewy Garcia, you know, 
hey, you want this job? Lay out for us your plan on how you're going to, I want to see at least that much done. We may not get anything else out of you. The entire time you're the mayor, we may never talk to you again or see you or hear from you or have any meetings that you're willing to take with us or do anything to help the people once you get into office. And we realize that we're not going to sit up here and BS each other. But if you want this job, then we need to see you lay out a, a specific plan for how you're going to close down Holman Square. Nobody really put either one of their feet to the fire on it. And now they got uh, Rahm Emanuel back in office and it's business as usual. So we're going to look at this story from uh, the Guardian. Um, this also detailing to us, you know, the the, the depths of uh, degradation and human torture and mistreatment, and just really kind of going into um, a bit of the history of uh, America's penal system, and just again helping us to create the, you know, the the fill in any gaps in the narrative, create the the paint the picture. Um, help you to understand, see and understand, you know, uh, in real numbers and, and in uh, graphic explanations, um, you know, what we need in this country to abolish the prison plantation system and the reasons why it's it's out of control. So uh, we'll do all of that. We've got to get called into our conference line also. I was just about to uh, give out the phone number and realized I had forgotten to log into our conference line also so forgive just this couple of moments of other noise that you'll hear going on in the in the midst of me talking about the, uh, today's program um, but we'll also cover um, the continued fallout from all of these shootings going on in the US We're finding out uh, information from the feds that uh, they're they're continuing to come up with ways to uh, get data to assess the number of shootings by police, which I don't believe they really don't know. I think they know. I think it's just uh, the state sanction. This right service now. is provided in high definition. So we're going to look at that. Um, Access code accepted. You are the only participant in this conference. This conference is and, being recorded. Q&A session started. And our unexplainable black death profile today is going to be Laval Hall, who was gunned down in February of this year, 25-year-old mentally ill brother, uh, unarmed. Um, the officers claim he had a broomstick in his hand which we all know that can be deadly for like 0.0025% of all humans on the planet know how to use a broomstick to kill somebody. So evidently they thought they had run into um, a martial arts expert or something when they saw this guy. But anyway, they gunned him down. So we'll be looking at his case as our unexplainable black death profile and also bringing in the uh, new information that has surfaced um, as there's new video showing, showing the shooting. Um, and obviously the family and their attorneys and others looking on much like our brother Walter Scott um, they're looking at this as a completely unjustified you know murder but once again I mean these, these things are 99% always un uh, unjustified I mean that's why we call it unexplainable black death you can't explain extrajudicial murder 
You took an oath. You are a law enforcement officer. You took an oath. We're not talking about black on black crime. No drug dealer. No thug. No wannabe rapper. Nobody else in the hood or in the neighborhoods. Nobody else took the oath. You took the oath. Nobody else is collecting a salary. See, a lot of these people that are involved in this black-on-black crime, selling drugs to one another, and just so happen to have something that could be considered as a weapon, whether it's a pistol or a knife, or like Laval Hall's case, a broomstick, these all become violent felonies. These all become the black-on-black crime violence once a person is arrested. But if we had these people on a taxpayer dime like we pay these cops who have not affected the, the use of drugs in the least bit, drugs are just as prevalent as they've ever been, if not more so. See, I'm going to talk to you about the reality of the truth on this program. I'm not one of these people that's trying to be you know, politically safe or... I don't believe in, in uh, the, the two-party politics. I don't believe in the paradigm America has put in front of the world. I don't believe in the system of politics that America uses, period, whether it be in business or in, in actual halls of so-called justice and legislation. I don't believe in this in the, in the least bit. This is a lawless nation, for one. And you could get that whether you're breaking down the U.S. budget whether you're looking at uh, the, the, we talked quite a bit yesterday in my personal affairs. We discussed uh, in depth. There's a lawmakers trying to come out with uh, limiting food stamp use. People that are using food stamps, uh, limiting them from being able to buy steak or seafood um, or uh, cookies. I think was even on the list. I mean, some of the most ridiculous. This is what these people are doing with your time. Okay, if you've got 44 million people in the nation, roughly, using food stamps, and you cut them out from, it's not limiting the amount of money they get per month, they'll still get the same money. So if 44 million people get a $1,000 a month, just to throw a number out there, for food stamps, and you say they can't use any of that money for cookies, steak, or seafood, I mean, what have you really done other than just punitive, been punitive and, and, and tried to punish these people for being poor? You haven't improved their diet. You, you haven't changed their lives for the better. I mean, what have you done? They still get the same money. So you're just saying they can't spend that, though, on because those are luxury items, fish sticks? Or do you imagine there is an epidemic of people running around stopping at the live lobster tank? And if they do, they just, if they, if they spend their money on lobster and, and T-bones and ribeyes or whatever, the first day they get it and they don't have anything by the end of the month, that's their own fault. But I don't see how that's anything we can legislate away. And the fact of the matter, in America, the bread lines of the Depression era never went away. We just made it something that was less obvious by giving people food stamps. To so a 44 million people, on SNAP benefits using an EBT card, if you took those people and had them stand in line every day at bread and soup kitchens like in the 30s, 
you would see very quickly that the bread and food soup lines never went away here. And to me, this is the, the, the illusion that people are living under, that this country is somehow solvent, that this country somehow has an economy. An economy would indicate that it was economically sound, that it was healthy and sustainable. But we are in debt for tens of trillions of dollars. The money we spend on the, on the interest on that alone. Five times what we spend on food stamps. Nobody's looking to lower the deficit though. Nobody's looking to scale back our military affairs. Nobody's looking to, to reform and clean up our social security situation. Paying people, not only the people that receive it, the, the retirees or what have you, paying the surviving families of the retirees, their children that still getting benefits, tens of millions of people, people that are mentally ill, but got enough sense to go to the mailbox and get a check. I mean, there's a whole lot of places we can tighten up, but this is what, this is the, as they call low hanging fruit, this is where, I guess you just got a rotten piece of fruit that's just on the floor, on the ground with the flies on it and everything else, but you're still going to salvage that and make that, you know, a, a win for you to go in and say people can't get steaks and seafood from using their EBT cards. Instead of addressing the fact of poverty, homelessness, hunger, you know, instead of really actually addressing those issues, that's what we do. So I don't respect American politics and law. And it, this country is completely lawless. I mean, completely. We discuss it here every day. The corporations buying legislation. Anytime you have private interests can go into their little personal think tanks and scale out what is going to be profitable for them and plan what markets they want to invade, plan what services they want to take over, plan out for themselves whatever course of actions they want to take that's beneficial to their bottom line. And then they have the ability to sit and draft legislation and then present that to our elected officials. And there's no one in America who can sit up here and deny the fact that they bring this legislation to your politicians, your elected officials, and then those elected officials take those campaign contributions, take those lobbying funds, take that money on the table and also under the table take those cushy corporate jobs the corporate recidivism is ridiculous people that go from politics to corporates to politics to corporate serving in cabinet positions and then go back and work for corporations and then go back and it's ridiculous and these are the bigger problems that contribute to us not being able to fix the prison problem which we're here to discuss but just in the overall lawlessness ridiculousness in this nation from the head down so when we come here and we start to discuss things like vendors of the prison systems that are willing to sell people sell these prisons and provide for these prisoners food that's got maggots in it, food that's out of date and they take the labels off and change the date and the food is sour already, feeding it to these people. When we talk about prisons and, and uh, jails and whatnot being understaffed and people lying on the on the, on the the time sheets and 
saying that there's people there covering tears and there's nobody covering tears and set aside the, the abuses, the rape and the you know molestation and beatings and all that. I mean, all of that is just a whole nother page in the book. But it's just a big old book of lawlessness and, and outrageousness that this country has mastered and made as its identity. So sorry, I'm not the, the guy that believes in your, in the, in the political, you know, situation as it were. But at any rate, we're going to take our first break. We're going to come back and we're going to get into it. I promise you today, limited rants. <laughs> more news this is the abolitionist daily this is Johan and Elia we'll be right back you are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasts and live program scheduling visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com We are back. This is Johan and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. You are listening to the Abolitionists Daily. And uh, as we are about to get into the news, as promised, um, just wanted to remind you that we are still, obviously, in the midst of our 2015 Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I may have been, uh, I think I may have missed yesterday really discussing this or if I did I was very brief probably uh, I don't remember if I actually talked to you about this but it's uh definitely something that we have to discuss every single day because it's the reality of you being able to hear us not just me but all of the programming on the network this is a 100% community driven community owned radio networks and obviously the internet is not free, quote unquote, literally free. You have to have, you know, the ability to access it and, and have servers to, to access to, to push out your information. And as the network grows, you know, we see tens of thousands of people every month, month in, month out that visit the, the websites. We see all of the, the, uh, data regarding who, you know, comes in here month to month and how long they stay on and what podcast they listen to and, all of this and as this network continues to grow these costs continue to go up so what we have to do is increase the awareness and do what we're doing now like with the fundraiser and make it clear to you that there's not going to be any programming if people don't share in these costs and that could be minimal to you a couple dollars a month just make a pledge or it could be a, a once in a lifetime big deal for you hell I don't know somebody must be winning that publisher's clearinghouse I keep seeing the commercials with the big old check coming to the front door maybe one of you is the one so you just got this big huge check Cut the Black Talk Radio Network a check. You could make sure the programming stays on for years to come. 
it's not an insanely large cost to operate, but it's definitely a cost, and none of us is, is here to earn a, a salary from any of this. We're here to provide the information. We're here to build a community. If you really look at it, there really is no black community. There's a bunch of black folks that's poor, and a black, bunch of black folks is waiting to see if today is the day their number gets called, and they're a victim of racist terrorism or 13th Amendment enforcement of modern-day slavery. So basically what you got, those that have enough money to get out leave. So, I mean, where's the black community, honestly? Where is it, where is it located? And one way to actually create a black community is to city by city, state by state, set up independent stations, empower people to get their voice out, encourage the creativity. Important security message. Please call the number provided as... Important security message. Please call the number provided as soon as possible. You will be guided for the removal of any adware, spyware, or virus that is found on your computer. Seeing the important security message. Please call the number provided as soon as possible. You will be guided for the removal of any adware, spyware, or virus that is found on your computer. Seeing these messages means that you possibly have them installed on your computer which puts the security of your personal data at a serious risk. It's strongly advised that you call the phone number provided and get your computer scanned before you continue using your internet. Important security message. Please call the number provided as soon as possible. You will be guided for the removal of any adware or virus that is found on your computer. Seeing these messages means that you possibly have them installed on your computer which puts the security of your personal data at a serious risk. It's strongly advised that you call the phone number Sorry provided. Sorry about that, Johanan. It's all right. I just didn't know if it was me. I'm, you, you know, know I was over here. going through or what have you. No, I'm over here. Um doing research and other stuff while I'm listening to the program and, and broadcasting it, so that's on me. I apologize. You know how some of these websites and stuff just pop up, so continue, right, please. Right, right on, right on, right on. So, as I was saying, what we're uh, looking for of you to engage in the fundraising efforts, uh, whether it be a dollar or two per month, $10 a month, $20 a month. I mean, we've discussed with you plenty of times every day. I try to talk about this. You know, very simple uh, sacrifices won't even be missed, but will make a world of difference to us actually being able to continue to, to uh, broadcast these programs. So we're not like the local, you know, mattress, mattress outlet or, you know, furniture mart or whatever going out of business and then we never leave. Like, if we tell you that we need you to contribute, so that this can keep on going that's what we mean and if you don't it's not a threat we're just letting you know when you don't hear from us that's what happened so um, we're always hearing people talk about we need this and we need to do that and unity and black folks come together and uh, we realize that we're not going to be respected by the law and by the, the powers that be by the dominant culture I mean that's why you see us being murdered and massacred and genocided right off the planet at the rates that we are because we don't have a voice we don't have allies, we don't have wealth, we don't have political influence, we don't have any leverage. At the end of the day, I don't care, your individual higher education degree is not leverage for black people. That's really all we have. I mean, if you really look at it, that's all we have. 
is trinkets and tokens that can be given to us for our natural physical abilities. We can find white people to give us millions of dollars because we speak well or because we sing and we can draw an audience or because we can dance well or because we are good with balls, white balls, brown balls, round balls, oval balls. These are the very precarious roots and foundations of black wealth building right now. You realize that? It's a handful of Africans on the continent who are in league with, once again, the dominant white society, white supremacist imperialists, to sell oil and natural resources that come out of the earth, out of the continent of Africa, the richest continent on the planet, full of countries that are the richest countries on the planet as far as in terms of natural resources, and it's all being exploited. Hell, we just saw the oil price drop. OPEC showed who was boss. OPEC dropped the oil prices. In Nigeria, had long been, a couple decades at least, had been one of the leading suppliers of oil to the United States of America. Guess what happened in Nigeria when OPEC dropped the oil prices? Nigeria is out of there. Gone. They're not even, the U.S. don't want no oil from them right now. So this is how we can continue to be marginalized. This is how politics doesn't really mean anything in terms of, of us wielding any political power. It all is going to start with us working with each other, depending on each other, building with each other, to actually have a leg to stand on in the world that we live in. Everything else is, is just fantasy. Is is just a dream of having a life, of having a future, of because I go to a job that the dominant society gave me because I have a degree that the dominant society let me buy from them because I have financing from a dominant society owned bank I can drive this car and I can live in this house because the dominant society has bought out whatever few handful of black business pe persons that created clothing I still buy clothes, all my clothes from white folks. I buy my toilet paper from white folks. I cannot wipe my ass unless Charmin produces toilet paper for me. I mean, we really got to get our heads out, people, and realize opportunities to support one another and build something. And the Black Talk Radio Network is most definitely that sort of opportunity to build city to city, state to state, community, awareness, empowerment, this thing can grow from what it is now. The awareness and the information you get from these shows that are on this, uh, these programs that are on this network, it's up to you how it grows and how it thrives and how it uh, continues to mature and evolve and develop into political parties and, and political empowerment. City to city. In one city, we develop a new party in Ferguson. They developed, I believe it was the, uh, what was that, uh, political, what was the name of it? Um, they started their own political party, and now we see they didn't do anything with it. They just brought in the old establishment Negroes that had been in seats before in the city council. But they, uh, I think it was the um, Fannie Lou Hamer party, I think, um, in Ferguson. And at any rate, they they picked up on one of the, the, the great abolitionist, activist, civil rights workers of our recent history and uh, put her name on the, on the party, and that was the new movement the youth was moving forward. Well, th that's the type of thing that with a, a nationwide operation, a real 
big business operation type of uh, I mean look at NPR you don't think NPR greatly influences the uh, the the left and the right and you know all this type of thing on a political scale for the dominant society you don't think National Public Radio does that absolutely they do all those programs city to city state to state all that programming all that investigation all that journalism all that reporting it's what we do here is the same thing So get behind the fundraiser. Go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Go to blacktalkmediaproject.org. Make a donation. And um, let's get through this uh, fundraiser with great success and uh, promise ourselves a, a future with this network. So we're going now to our first in this series of, of uh, stories about good old Aramark. Um some of these are from Think Progress. These, uh, and, uh, there's just so many different links that have, over time, they've tried to tell you about what these people are doing. It's ridiculous. Um, I know in Michigan at one point they had, um, Aramark employee had tried to pay an inmate to kill someone that was in the prison. Um, I mean, that type of thing. They investigated that. I mean, that, that's ridiculous, obviously. Uh, Aramark employees having sex with prisoners. Um, bringing in contraband and whatnot for for prisoners, um, so obviously no screening, no uh, no uh, real chain of command, you know, operating enforcing any type of laws or regulations uh, within the corporation itself. Yet they continue to sign these huge contracts. So uh, this is from uh, Think Progress. Um, yeah, this is recent uh, March thirtieth. So. From the date of March 30th, it says two weeks ago, uh, Progress Michigan uncovered emails revealing that a prison food provider served cakes nibbled on by rats to inmates. So not only rats eating off the food, but obviously rats and rodents are going to leave their feces pretty much right there where they're eating uh, also. Uh, they've now discovered that employees from this same food vendor, Aramark, served inmates at another facility an equally unsavory meal, which was garbage. In an email exchange between the company's general manager, Siegfried Linder, and the state's Department of Corrections, Linder admitted that prisoners at Saginaw Correctional Facility were served food that was previously thrown in the trash. Mr. Chisholm discarded the leftovers from the line before the last half unit was was in the chow hall. He then realized that there were more inmates to serve, so he rinsed them off, reheated them in the oven, and instructed the inmates to serve them. They refused. So he and Miss Gibson proceeded to serve them to the re- to the remaining inmates. Stew it in the trash, <laughs> pulled it off. What he used to do as a kid, kiss it, kiss it up to God. <laughs> what you used to do? Uh, Fifteen second rule is that what they say? Five second rule? I mean, every kind of cliche and joke or whatever. But this is reality because these people are captives. These people don't have any choices, and that's by law. That's by design that you don't have choice. You broke the law. So now we're going to be custodians of your life and then give you time to become penitent penitent over what you have done. Take time to meditate on what you did and find yourself and find your righteous mind and you turn your life around because we got these cell walls and we got these concrete block walls and we got all this mean faces and hardness and negativity to pour into your life and make you better. And one of the things we're going to do is give you crap food and make you fill you up on the inside with garbage we're going to take stuff out of the trash we're going to rinse it off 
They probably didn't even really worry about rinsing it off. We're gonna we're gonna feed it to you anyway. Because that's gonna make you better. That's gonna rehab you. That's gonna create jobs in the community where you came from, where there were previously no jobs. So you needed to eat. So you stole something. You needed to eat, so you sold something. We're fixing that by treating you like crap inside behind prison walls. We're going to fix that. So when your 18-month sentence, two-year, three, five, seven, ten-year sentence is over, you're going to go back into a community where there's going to be jobs now. There's going to be opportunities now. And what you did before, you're going to go back in the community and fit right in and be able to move on and have a productive life because that's what our prison system does. It's not about generating money off of you. It's not about slavery. No, no, whoever told you that was lying. We want to make you better. We want to, we want to help you not be this person. So we're going to feed you garbage and get you back in the, in the, in the main vein of life. Privately contracted food vendor which serves, services healthcare institutions, universities, school districts, stadiums and arenas and businesses in 22 countries around the world has come under fire for serving contaminated food and engaging in gross misconduct in prison facilities statewide. After maggots and fly larvae were found near a meal-serving line, at least 150 inmates were quarantined for symptoms characteristic of the flu. One inmate sued the company for serving spoiled meat and moldy bread. In other instances, the company breached contract by simply failing to provide enough food. We talked about it on New Abolitionist Radio some time back. Uh, the prisoners, I believe that was in Georgia, where they were saying prisoners were uh, balling up toilet paper and eating it. Eating toothpaste to survive. They, was, they, were, they were like the old joke talking about having air sandwiches. They were literally saying that. Like, we're at the point now where it's just air sandwiches. You just hold on. They, people were saying we're, they, they, we just lay here. We just lay here and just wait to die. Yeah, that was from uh, out of out of Georgia's uh, Southern Center for Human Rights, where we talked about that um, last year on New Abolitionist Radio. It said people report that they're fed twice per day in such meager portions that they are that they experience constant hunger, weakness, and discomfort. Um, while the uh, Southern Center for Human Rights receives many complaints about food served in prisons and jails across the South. The reports from Gordon County Jail stand out as abnormal and worthy of prompt attention. Under Georgia law, the Gordon County Jail must provide detainees with at least two substantial and wholesome meals each day. And they've got the state codes there that, that speak on it. The state and federal constitution also require that jailers provide adequate amounts of food to people in their custody. Detainees report that the Gordon County Jail does not provide substantial and wholesome, wholesome meals. They consistently describe exceedingly small portions at breakfast and dinner, which are the only two meals that they can count on for sustenance. The meals are served 10 to 14 hours apart, and detainees report remaining hungry after eating. Numerous Gordon County Jail inmates have told the SCHR, Southern Center for Human Rights, that they are so hungry that they eat toothpaste and toilet paper. Most reported losing a significant amount of weight. They also report chronic headaches, weakness, irritability, and difficulty sleeping because they are so hungry. One man had only two bowel movements in the last 19 days. Some people describe trying to combat their hunger by licking syrup packets saved from the breakfast meal throughout the course of the day. 
satisfying the sugar urge to satisfy the hunger. Others try to combat their hunger by drinking excessive amounts of water, which they call water sandwiches. Our preliminary investigation ind indicates that Gordon County Jail has reduced food portions so drastically that it is out of compliance with the state and federal law, says uh, Southern Center for Human Rights Attorney Sarah Garrity. We're asking the sheriff to review the sales, uh, the sales, the jail's feeding practices and the food vendor's compliance with his contract to ensure that uh, people in jail receive adequate nutrition as required by law. So, I mean, this is not just Airmark. I mean, this is, and again, this is the the the, the headline of this uh, podcast today is exploiting the enslaved. I mean, you've got these things on the backside of the slavery. Everything we talk about on the front side of the of the kidnappings, of the extrajudicial murders, of the prison, uh, the policing for profit, the probation for profit, the uh, wringing out of people's pockets before they even get into as far as getting to the jail situation. The treatment of the mentally ill, the treatment of the homeless, you know, hyper policing, over criminalization of, of uh, black neighborhoods and black persons, terrorizing people, stop question and frisk. I mean, on and on and on. Broken windows policing, quality of life policing, modern day Jim Crow laws, and, you know, just all of this on the front side. Getting into prisons and the brutality, the rape. The intimidation, the understaffing, the fighting. All of these things on the front side of it. This is like an A and B, like an old school cassette tape. Or like an album. An old vinyl record. This is all the stuff that you hear played on the radio on side A. That's, just, that's the singles that made you buy the record. Rape, Rape, Rape. You know, the number one single off the, off the new album. Modern Day Slavery. The rape song. The beating song. To give up some sexual favors so you can get a tampon, so you can get some toothpaste, so you can get some shower shoes song. The Tutwiler blues. The human trafficking song. About California prisons. Sending tens of thousands of people out of California state prisons into other states' prison populations so they can comply with the Supreme Court order to decarcerate from their 200% overcapacity status and in claiming that they've finally uh, uh, gone ahead and complied with the, the Supreme Court order five years later, but really they just send people to other states. This, these are all the songs, all the hits on the side A, but on the B side, always remember on the B side, is slavery. 40 states right now. We, it was 37 last year. We got a new report. I'll see if I can find it before the program's over. We got a new report. 40 states right now. In league, in, uh, putting in legislation in that encourages corporations to come and take advantage of their convict labor, slave labor. This is the B-side music. So when you hear about these people eating water sandwiches, when you hear about these people balling up toothpaste and or balling up toilet paper and, and eating toothpaste, licking the insides of a syrup packet throughout the course of the day, rationing yourself one lick per four every four hours just to satisfy the salivation and the the, the sugar urge, the low sugar. I mean, true savage survival techniques. All of those things is a B-side to that. Because in addition to all those things, 
These people are also forced to work for corporations for 17 cents an hour, a dollar a day, this type of thing. And these are all jobs that should be your job, should be my jobs, should be out here in the public sector instead of people going a hundred, 150, 200 weeks with no jobs. The unemployment numbers appearing to fall and the assumption being that people got jobs now. But the reality unemployment numbers fall because after four years, after five years, after six years, who the hell still filing for unemployment? Who's still going to the workforce empowerment office? Who's still going to the to the state's employment unemployment office and filing and working with their counselors and using their computers and sending out resumes and going to, to training courses and still trying and trying and trying five and six years later and they still haven't got a job? How many people do you think really do stick with it that long? How many people are able to navigate this police system out here with the debts that they have mounting. Walter Scott reportedly was, was, uh, being sought by the law because he was behind on his child support. And the people that have been talking on that. Now, this is one where I always talk about the websites and the comments and the, the racist nature of the comment sections on websites, you know, whatever, when you see stories pop up. Because I mean, I have Google alerts set up to, to help me produce this program. And just as an abolitionist overall to help me with my research, I'm always looking through news reports of, you know, based off various, uh, you know, uh, Google tags or what have you. Um, um, so anyway, um, I always see a lot of different resources, a lot of different websites, and I'll look at the comments and just kind of take a temperature of what's going on in the nation. You know, how are people talking? How are people acting? And obviously you're going to have, you know, your outpouring of racist sentiment. You're going to have your comments about people being animals and deserving to die and deserving to be in prison and being criminals. And I mean, you're going to have all that ignorant foolishness. But shockingly, I found in this Walter Scott situation, as the, as the child support uh, aspect of it came out, Specific to South Carolina, I have seen many people commenting that in South Carolina, it is very common to be in and out of jail, in and out of jail, over missing a single child support payment. So on New Abolitionist Radio, we're doing Ferguson is America, a series where we're talking about, um, you know, Ferguson is far from an anomaly. And that was mentioned in the DOJ report about Ferguson, that we hope that this is just an anomaly. But you knew it wasn't an anomaly. You know that it is the system itself and you reported on the system and what we're going to do is take what you gave us and go a step further and continue to show just like we showed all 50 states constitution that was just a setup for us that was just a, a training course for us a strengthening for us as researchers and as abolitionists we took the responsibility of showing you every one of these 50 states constitution and every single one of them that says the same thing the 13th amendment says we showed to you in explicit terms that every state that was once a uh, 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 non-slave state like Kansas, my own home state the free state Kansas free state, they still got businesses all throughout Kansas, free state free state pizza, free state t-shirts, free state shoe store, free state free state, free state rock chalk jayhawk, we got the line in the sand right here, the slave slavery don't come past here the red pants and the battles of the border wars and all of this or whatever is Kansas history 
that people love to quote and tell you about. But what people don't want to talk about is what we discussed on New Abolitionist Radio and showed you week in, week out. Even states like Kansas and everybody else that was saying there were no slave state made slavery legal in their state when they adopted the 13th Amendment. Quiet is kept. And we're going to do the same type of expose on Ferguson is America and show people state to state to state how those same racist pattern and practice practices are going on in South Carolina is going to get exposed for what it's doing to people like Walter Scott taking years of people's lives away okay if I'm behind on my child support payment the way to help me get that payment made is not to take me away and put me on a chain gang and have me picking up trash and take me away from the job I was able to find take me away from whatever way I was able to make some money it's just not how you do it but that is what they are doing and there's people on these websites and on these stories talking about Walter Scott's situation I've seen several different sites I've seen several different personal accounts of individuals who have come up and said what they're doing here is not right and if it doesn't stop there we're going to continue to see these Fergusons popping up across this country we're just it's going to keep happening we're going to keep seeing one individual get victimized and it becomes a big enough story and the people ain't going to let it go and all that pent up frustration all that pent up pain from the exploitation subjugation terrorization hyper criminalization hyper policing improper adjudication of justice improper application of municipal codes and ordinances for the purposes of generating revenue extorting individuals and a continuing criminal conspiracy to extort finances from individuals all of these things are what you saw in Ferguson people were mad about Michael Brown but people went the hell off about all of the other stuff and even now we see some folks lost their jobs and they had another election and nobody's going to jail over any of it Chief Tom Jackson said it should have been escorted out of his job in, in handcuffs if we could take the Atlanta teachers out and do make them do the perp walk over cheating on tests what the hell is a school test going to do? A school test has nothing to do with life not for real what I took the ACT 25 years ago what the hell do you think it has to do with me today as an individual? I took that test to see what colleges would give me scholarships what scholarships I could qualify for I got plenty of money because I had a big old fat number on my ACT Whoa, wow still to this day I gotta find a way to eat I gotta find a way to live indoors ACT ain't doing nothing for me those teachers did not really truly do anything to harm the, the, envir the community other than not teach them kids no better than they did but nothing criminal like that Tom Jackson oversaw a law enforcement department that literally went out and persecuted people of color with the city's demand behind it and they show that they increased their their revenues by doing it that's criminal so when we come back from the break I'll stay on track with uh, Airmark because they got a whole lot of crazy stuff they, they've been doing the number to the program let me give you the number I'm, I'm sorry uh, the number to the program is 712 775 7035 so if you want to call in Give us a call. The access code is 367526. You hit star 6 and then 1, 
and you will be in the caller's queue. This is Abolitionist Daily. We'll be right back. This is Brother Elliot, first of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. And I promised you today that I would talk about Aramark, and I'm doing what I seem to do uh, most of the time, getting off on these other tangents. All of it is corruption. All of it is slavery, modern-day slavery and human trafficking. All of it is the legacy of plantation, chattel slavery in America and still going on, the continued poisoning of our society by people who still make plenty of money off of doing the same type of things they did for the last several hundred years. So you forgive me. If I digress and begin to get into these other side conversations, um, it's all a part of the same narrative. So I don't mean to uh, to to overpromise and underdeliver, because I told you we will be discussing Aramark today. So as I said, and we were talking about uh, just the fact that uh, Aramark is is accused of simply for uh, failing to provide enough food. Then I went over to the Georgia uh, prisons. Uh, and jail story and talked about the water sandwiches and the licking the syrup packet just to get, you know, keep the sugar, blood sugar high enough to survive. I mean, all this type of thing. Um, Detroit Free Press also discovered that one-fifth of Airmark employees were fired for unsanctioned sexual encounters with inmates, trying to sneak in drugs and showing up to work themselves inebriated. So, I mean, this is this is what you draw, man. This is what you what, what you bring to yourself. When you're evil, you bring a lot of People that aren't, you know, really responsible and ready to be good, productive members of society to your company. And I guess it doesn't bother them. They're not screening anyone. They're not. They're just, you know, it's just a mess. The fact that inmates refuse to serve this food and yet an Aramark employee felt comfortable doing so speaks volumes about the company's corporate culture. This is just the latest and one of the most disgusting examples of Aramark's incompetency in the state of Michigan. The public has a right to know what is really going on with this contract, and it shouldn't take thousands of dollars of uh, Freedom of Information Act documents to, just to get to the truth. But the company, which has fed inmates dog food, worms, and scraps of food from old meals, maintains a stronghold on correctional food service in Michigan, and really in most of these uh uh, cities around the country. They're just, this is a coming out of a thing progress branch that's in Michigan, so they're specific to their problems. But I've seen Ohio is constantly fighting with the state uh, food providers. I mean, we talked about Mississippi, uh, Cecil McCrory and his, his uh, being indicted on the four, same 49 count indictment as former Commissioner Christopher Epps. Uh, Cecil McCrory was working with the Keefe Group out of uh, Missouri, uh, which is a big uh, canteen provider. So, I mean, these people are corrupt uh, state to state and doing the same type of practices, you know, just the thing is you can't come in and promise. That's how the privatization got its foot in the door is obviously we had other methods of providing food. Um, hell, as I talked about on the on the uh, program before about the, the Brubaker movie, you know, that was a real prison. Uh, I think it was in Arkansas. Um, but in the movie, I think it, I think it takes place in Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, that was a real situation, and they had uh, they they used to provide food. Uh, Angola 
is a former plantation, literally, an actual slave plantation turned into a, a prison, Angola in, in uh, Louisiana. Uh, the prisons used to provide their own food. That was a part of your work, what you did, was, you know, harvest crops and provide your own. Well, th- we can't go having people eating anything healthy and having enough food to eat. And that that contributes to the whole idea of these prisoners living a life of Riley with their feet up and sitting in the cell, you know, playing cards and strumming the banjo and, you know, whatever. That's the, that's the narrative that, that came from that, from people actually having food, actually having, you know, a connection to the, to the earth and still being able to get outdoors and, and do. I mean, these are all things that are, that are cut off because what we really need to do is have a corporate multi-billion dollar company come in and sure, serve you shit on a shingle. I mean that's prison terminology for the for the food, the chip beef and gravy or whatever they feed them. That's been a long been around for decades. That's what they'd rather do than have you growing crops and raising livestock and and I mean this was all how it used to go down, and they shut that down, and now they starve them and they feed them poison. So it's not just Michigan, and it's not just Airmark, but we're talking about Airmark. But this is this is their system. This is what you get from a disposable nature of the uh, care and concern for states' indigents, the states' uh, mentally ill, the states' unemployed and underemployed, chronically underemployed, the states' undereducated. I mean, all of the... Uh, Warning signs, all of the indicators, all of the all of the markers that are used to to bear out the statistics on who is actually in our prisons. They're all the same indicators. Every state in the union, it's the same thing: poverty, education, joblessness, you know, lack of options, mental illness, drug addiction. And so when we don't, as a society, come up with answers and systems and, and don't, and it's not that we don't come up with them, we've come up with plenty of answers and, and have implemented plenty of working models. But if it doesn't look like empire, if it doesn't have the appeal of scandal, if it doesn't have a catchy, a catchy vibe like a Drake song, if it's not sexy like some Jordans or New Bins, you know, this is this is how people did the titillation. It's just not hype like a Mayweather fight. This is how people are compelled. Not through humanity. This is what we're doing to relate to the larger dominant society. This is assimilation. And the cost that we pay is we void ourselves of our humanity. We come here with humanity, with empathy, with genius, and we trade it off for assimilation into an evil system. A system that was built on stealing people and forcing them. A system that was really built on uh, one country sending its criminals to a banished land. I mean, we start from there. Sending its its unsavory individuals, people that couldn't fit into the system they had there, which was a failing system. 
New Abolitionist Radio. Again, we had um, what was the brother's name? Just that fast, the uh, doctor's name uh, fled from my mind. We had um, was it Lineball? Yes, Peter Lineball. That was his name. Uh, author, professor, just an overall, you know, brilliant guy, man, a good guy to talk to. He was very open and honest and told us about, you know, he's an abolitionist. Hell yes, he, he jumped right on in there. Yes, I'm an abolitionist. I understand the whole situation. And his understanding comes from, he wrote a book called, uh, uh, Many Headed Hydra, one that he, that he wrote, uh, that was discussing like the history, um, of how slavery and everything came together, the many-headed hydras, uh, sailors, slaves, commoners, and the hidden history of the revolutionary Atlantic. And it's a it's this book that goes into great depth of research discussing the origins of the people that left England, left you know European com- uh, countries, and were sent here in a lot of cases, uh, fleeing the laws and fleeing persecution of the state, the slavery of the state, you know where they were at at that time, and sent out of there because they couldn't and wouldn't abide by I mean they, they had common grounds um, another one of his books uh, the Magna Carta Manifesto liberty and commons for all and this is like the, you know the time of common grounds people could, where you grew up you farmed that land you lived on that land you protected that you know whatever and as the state came in and took ownership of those lands and pushed them people out and gave them a job of maintaining the land for the state for a penance Stealing their freedoms. I mean, these are the things that are the origins of the creation of this country. Very literally, factually, historically, this is how people were expelled from England and other European lands where people had traditionally lived, like the Robin Hood model or whatever, you just in the forest, minding your own business. They shut all that down. And those people left those lands and got, came, were sent here. Of course, there was indigenous people that lived here already, and it was looking at them like, you know, like they had two heads. Like, what the hell? What do you want? And as long as they could get along with them, and as long as they could play the game, they played the game and acted like they weren't here to kill them up. But as soon as they got their nuts, you know, up under them, here goes the war. The stealing of the natural resources, the killing and raping of the people. And converting those people from what they were into something else so they could assimilate, so they could stop being genocided. You saw the rise of the five civilized tribes. The five tribes that were willing to do things the way that the Europeans were doing them. They didn't call them civilized because they remained at war with them. They called them civilized because they went ahead and started adopting treaties and laws and dressing and talking and acting. and And that's what we're doing now adopting and acting and taking on the characteristics of the slave state of the state of persecutors of the of the murder state of the psychological warfare state of the starving people to death state of the poisoning people to death state of the raping people state this is the rape state you realize that america is the leading rapist nation on the planet in other countries where rape is a, is a factor, it's largely because we are invading over there and carrying our, exporting our rape culture to their lands. Do you know rape increased four, five hundred percent in, in Afghanistan once American troops got there? 
Do you know rape in, in, it went up exponentially the same way in, in Iraq once the American troops got there? Have you seen the little babies? It's just like Vietnam all over again. Do you know how, how much rape went up in Vietnam while we were there? We're exporting what we're good at. We're exporting what we love, what we believe. Yeah, sure, we gave them a, a, a chance to vote for somebody that we're just going to put in power anyway. We gave them democracy. We literally gave them our system of democracy. We're just going to pick a president and give him the most commercials and keep all his dirt covered and then expose the other guy's dirt and you're going to pick this guy that we want same thing in, in Iraq there the elections that's why it never lasts they got rid of all the indigenous people they got rid of all the organically occurring heads so we gave them our so that's what we do is export our bad things just like the people that came here brought the badness with them and established the state on those bad things well we maintain those bad things and we as individuals listening to this program and in activist movements and in churches and parent teacher associations and community organizers and everybody that thinks that they're good and have a heart when you don't pay attention to situations like what I'm talking about today simply with even just Aramark when you don't pay attention to people being fed dog food worms food scraps out the trash poison mold fly larvae giving people portions so small that they're I mean they said that about the detention facilities the immigrant detention facilities the babies starving to death the mothers cannot nurse you got these family detention centers where you can generate $109,000 per person year in year out you can rape our budget you can just appropriate $3.7 billion out of the 2015 budget 2014 budget take it straight out of Obama's hand as soon as he puts the pen to the ink to the paper and the money magically appears you magically snatch it away into the private prison so you can provide detention facilities where all you're going to do is have people there getting raped being beaten forced into slave labor can't feed their babies the mothers cannot literally cannot breastfeed how many of those testimonies need to come out before you care that that's happening because they crossed the border because our war on drugs has destroyed their governments has destroyed their communities because we are in cahoots with the cartels Sinaloa told you that they were in a deal with the CIA, the DEA as long as they snitched and told a little bit of information on, the, on two other cartels not the two other as in there are only three just two others, so that's three that we know of but there's got to be dozens of other cartels all of them generating multiple billions of dollars Sinaloa is in a deal with these with these government agencies that they can allow them to work and operate basically unmolested as long as they give them some busts on some other people so they look like they're doing their jobs. And we know the Sinaloa drug dealers that were finally caught up and told that they were responsible for bringing in billions and billions of dollars of dope and guns and shipping that from Chicago all up and down the East Coast. So those are hundreds of thousands of lives of people that were impacted by the actions of just those couple of people as sanctioned by our government. So I'm giving you a, all these specifics about all these different angles on the web that we're caught up in. And if you don't care and don't get active about any of these things, if you don't pick up the food problem is your, your fight for what, you know, truth and justice and start holding a candle for that. If you don't start holding up a, a candle for rape, feminist community where the hell are you 
If you want to join up with the LBGTQNPRQSTX, well, you know, Elemental P, whatever. Because I mean, I've seen some crazy numbers put with this, with that movement, uh, crazy letters, and uh, I, don't, I mean, it's ridiculous how far it's expanding to cover all of this, you know, whatever. But if you're only wanting to fight for these types of fringe movements, I'm calling you out. You want to be popular. You want to be in a cool kids club. You want to be in a clique. You don't want human rights. You don't want civil rights. You don't want equality. You don't want rape to stop. You want to talk about feminism and talk about uh, domestic violence and and uh, don't you know how many women are domestic violence and don't you know how many black women is going to do don't you know how many women because of the men and the patriarchal society and religion and all of this crap you want to sit up here and spew out of your mouth it sounds like blah 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 to me charlie brown teacher talk blah why 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 because i don't hear you talking about what's going on in tutwiler i don't hear you talking about what's going on with black women representing i think it's like a 700 or maybe 800 percent increase and black women being incarcerated. I don't hear you uh, advocating for women of all colors, white, black, whoever. Pick a side, pick one. Women are the new biggest and fastest growing group of slaves. If the society has been decimated, and we know by all accounts, by all quantifications and qualifications, all science, all statistics, the communities have been destroyed by the stealing of the men away, the stealing of the, the youth away. The 18 to 45 year range in the black community is incarcerated largely. And we see what it has done. And we hear Don Lemon and we hear Sean Hannity and we hear all these people talk about the 70% uh, born in, out of wedlock and the 70% of black children in single parent homes and how the black children this and the black children that because the black man ain't there. Well, the black man is incarcerated. Okay. So we see that situation, and we got to work on how to stop getting so many brothers incarcerated. Okay, we got that covered. But what are you going to do about the the women, the mamas? It's already illegal to have women chained in hospital beds when they're delivering babies, and they're still doing it every state. We just recently had the, the sterilization scandals pop up where, you know, incarcerated women, they just go ahead and, and sterilize them. We found out in, in uh, I believe it was Tennessee, well, that's been a, one of the prosecutors in all those plea deals. The 97% of federal uh, convictions brought about by pleas and the 94% of state convictions brought about by pleas. Uh, we found out, I believe it was in Tennessee, but one of these prosecutors has been secretly putting sterilization in as part of the deals with their plea deals. Like requiring... Okay, if you, if you don't want to go to prison, uh, you know, we'll give you however many probation months and whatever kind of fees and fines and, and also part of your deal is you're going to have to be sterilized people genocide is genocide so I don't care what group you want to advocate for if you're fighting genocide then we should be on the same side and right now this modern day slavery and human trafficking this 13th amendment situation we're facing this is facilitating genocide. And yeah, it's quality of life issues like the food problem. And it's budget issues like what Michigan is facing with Airmark. 
its health issues, its Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment issues at this level. But it's also what we're about to go into talking about with Corizon. It's actual living people trying to live and survive issues. Because we discussed before on this program about the people that have died under Corizon's care. Hundreds, thousands of people that don't even survive. We talked about on this program how Corizon agreed to pay $8.3 million, the largest wrongful death settlement California has ever seen for not providing proper health care to a man. Martin Harrison. Three days before his death, Harrison was arrested for failing to appear in court, after which he was placed in an isolation cell in Alameda County's uh, Santa Rita Jail. During a medical exam that was conducted upon his arrival, Harrison informed Corizon's licensed vocation nurses about his history of alcoholism, but the nurses failed to administer the necessary treatment to prevent Harrison from experiencing alcohol withdrawal. On August 16th, he began to hallucinate and lash out. And after Harrison broke food trays and clogged his toilet in his cell, prison deputies tried to subdue him by beating him and tasing him. Of course, that's what you should... Just to beat him! If that would, I mean, it works, right? It works for you. Helps you get that out. Helps you, you know, all them steroids. And you don't get to carry a gun in there, so you could just do how, the, how your brothers in blue do on the outside. Just blow his ass away. Harrison died from cardiac arrest shortly thereafter. So we know that his is just one case, but this, uh, this relates to the Alameda uh, jail situation. Uh, because now hundreds of nurses who work for the for-profit prison healthcare company Corizon in Alameda County, California, are threatening to go on strike if the company refuses to put enough nurses on duty to give them enough resources to adequately care for the thousands of men incarcerated there, especially after inmates have died on their watch. Think Progress spoke this week to one of the jail nurses who we will identify by the pseudonym Clara because she fears losing her job. Clara works as a registered nurse at the jail, described... Uh, and described to us abysmal conditions including broken or dirty equipment, rushed procedures, and severe understaffing. For example, when inmates are first booked, nurses examine them and ask them about their full medical history. Clara said Corazon's procedures in this phase designed to save time and money, but they put everyone at risk. The patients come in right off the street. They're often under the influence of drugs. You don't know what their mental state is. They've got three nurses seeing three inmates at once in one little cramped room, maybe 15 by 15. So there's no confidentiality. One inmate is sitting so close he could touch the next one, and we're asking them very personal questions like if they're HIV positive. HIPAA, uh, HIPAA laws are totally violated in these conditions. In a statement to Think Progress, Corizon asserted that they meet their staffing obligations in Alameda and are very proud of the skilled and compassionate staff who work with these facilities. The people that write these white papers and write these press releases that work for these evil-ass companies, oh my goodness, there has got to be some kind of special room in hell for you to just, just sit there and, and suffer on top of the suffering that you witness and everybody else suffering for all eternity. It just can't be that you just get to be in the same hell as other people that go to hell for much lesser offenses. It just cannot be. 
There's got to be some karma for you. There's got to be some, 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 the seeds you're sowing have got to give you back some rotten poisonous fruit when you do this with your life. Who does this with their life? I promise you, okay, I'm a writer. I, I, I'm a journalist to a certain extent. I'm, I've authored several papers over the course of life and I, I work in expressing myself through written word all the time. But it's not likely I will be able to apply a horizon and get the job that this this person that sets up these press releases, these statement, statements for horizon. It's not likely I will be able to apply and get that job. No matter how gifted I am at doing it, no matter how much experience I have and how much I can provide, uh, you know, previous writings and all of that, and I can show myself to be completely competent, it's not likely that I will be able to get that position because I don't, uh, I haven't completed a college degree. So it's likely that their website and their hiring site and their processes, if I go in there and know somebody and whatever, and they try to help me out, they're going to say, well, this, this requires, you know, uh, uh, a BA and whatever, or BS, or, you know, whatever. So, okay, I'm cool with that. I understand. But my point is that you have to have gone to college. And we know in the modern times, this ain't like how it was when I came out of school. I graduated in 1992. When I came out, even the, the white, I came out in a class of about 330, I think, but 300 and something like that, 330. And there was three black kids. You know, obviously I was one of them. There was three black kids in our graduating class. The rest was pretty much white kids. I think we had a couple of Sikhs, uh, some, a couple of Latinos, you know, whatever kind of mixed in. But for the most part, it was about 300 white kids. And, you know, this is a decent, you know, uh, county or whatever. It's fairly wealthy county. The schools are some of the top schools in the nation. That's all fine and well and good. But these kids were not sitting up here thinking about how they were going to pay for school, like out of pocket or getting student loans. People were in my generation, the academia was the thing. The, the scholarship was the thing. If you were going to college, you had been trying to get good grades all throughout school. We all kind of competed with each other. I mean, I wasn't a 4.0 student, but I felt like I held my own. I was a strong 3-2, three, 3-3 three, three most of the time, and I'd bounce up sometimes, get a little higher here and there. But I felt pretty strong about my, my grades. And I felt very strong about my college testing and what have you. And I had plenty of scholarship money, plenty of opportunities. I had some full rides. This is what we thought about college in my time. Do you know people nowadays don't even care about grades and scholarships and all the people now just go get these student loans and buy a degree and then go try to find a job? So I'm saying all this to say, can you just imagine the person that does this job being some person that is a hundred and some thousand dollars in debt for a, a, you know, a four year degree so they could even get this job in communications department with Horizon Healthcare, this multi-billion dollar, you know, company or whatever. And this is this prestigious position this person has. This is what justifies the years of school and the loans and the, Family's proud of them, and the, the whole this is the whole American image. This is what we're dealing with, and this is what this person's job really is, though, is to work for a company that has been sued over thirteen hundred times for human rights violations. Very specifically, you don't sue Corizon for defrauding your paycheck or for for misrepresenting you, or you don't sue Corizon for certain things. You can only sue Horizon for a certain very limited number of things, and all of them have to do with human suffering and human rights violations, wrongful death, violation of the Eighth Amendment, 
You understand where I'm coming from? Are you, you follow what I'm saying? You can only sue Corizon Healthcare for a certain very limited and narrow scope of offenses. And all of them have to do with human rights violations. And this is where you work with your big degree and with your great job title and with your, what, I mean, what are you, 40, 50 G's a year and you sell your soul to write this crap? We meet our staffing obligations and we're very proud of the skilled and compassionate staff who work in these facilities. And while we're not at liberty to discuss ongoing negotiations, we can assure you that we're working closely with our union partners and share a common goal of providing quality health care to the patients. Oh, my God. This can't be life. It just can't be life. This can't be reality. That this is how the, the whole thing works. This is your response? You just had to give out $8.3 million for killing a man. The largest wrongful death settlement in the state of California history. Corizon was at the center of the other wrongful death uh, situation we talked about with MTC down in Texas, with Wallace County. Years ago, that was a Corizon and I believe Geo Group uh, fallout. That was the largest wrongful death in, uh, Arizona, in uh, Texas or whatever history. Or maybe even in the nation. I think it was like $14 million. I hope these tangents aren't too confusing and disturbing or whatever. I mean, I just see things and it just continues to blow my mind about a thing I already thought my mind was blown about. Then I see something else. It's like, oh, my God. This is the Abolitionist Daily. We will be back after this break. We're going to wrap up our news stories. I promise we're going to move forward. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna Nalaya on the Black Talk Radio Network. If you have uh, questions or comments or want to get into the discussion here uh, that we're having about the exploitation of the enslaved, and honestly, I mean, there's only 30 minutes left in the program, so I've got to move forward because I haven't even really scratched the surface on all of, all of what I intended to discuss with you today. The number is 712-775-7035. The access code is 367 five two six pound you hit star six and then one and you will be in the caller's queue and uh we'd be happy to have you on air with us um you know looking into this madness of of america at any rate we're discussing horizon and i got a little sidetrack just talking about the human factor and i talk about those things because as i say all the time we're not just fighting to get the 13th amendment repealed we're not just fighting to get the 13th amendment exception removed we're not just fighting on a local, like state level, level, excuse me, to get these changes made to state constitutions or working up to the federal constitution. We're not just fighting for, you know, bringing the first of what we hope to be a series of RICO cases against these municipalities and, and uh, judiciaries and, and law enforcement agencies. And we're not just fighting for these individual little situations or whatever. We're fighting for getting people on the right side of history, getting people on the right side of the slavery situation. And people like what I just explained, the quality of life of an individual that is in debt with student loans and has this, you know, 
forty, fifty thousand dollar a year job. I'm just guessing. I mean, it probably may not even pay that much. I mean, we're talking about Corizon. They could very easily be hiring college degreed individuals into these kind of positions at twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year. And people know there's no job, so I mean, you're not going to sit there and let your student loans default and and you don't go get a job and get in the get in the rat race. So you take that job, whatever the pay is. But they prepare these kind of statements that are obviously lies. I mean, I can just see the evil dripping off of it while I read it. It's, it's sickening. Anyway, this person is talking to Think Progress about this, uh, Clara, as they're calling her because she's, doesn't want to get in trouble. Uh, explain that Horizon keeps the medical team constantly short staffed so that a single nurse is in charge of more than 20 acute patients at once, all of whom need to be monitored very closely. In any other hospital, we'd be caring for five at the most, but here it's sometimes 20 or more patients all to one nurse. It's unsafe, she said. Our inmate population is getting older and older, and we have a lot of people with hypertension and diabetes and a lot of dental issues, seizure disorders, and, of course, the drug and alcohol issues that people come in here with. Right now, we're so severely short-staffed that normally we have a pool of people to call if someone calls off sick, but now we're just using those people as full-time staff. So they got the the, 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 the rotation staff as their full-time because they, they, they can't even... It's crazy. When someone calls off sick, we don't have any pool to call from. So somebody calls in sick, which people call in sick. People can't make it every single day, which is the appeal of prison slave labor. Their own commercials say, you tired of people calling in sick? You tired of babysitter issues? Well, check out prison slave labor. And then they do the whole commercial and sell to you contracts that you should enter into with these private prisons and state agencies to contract this slave labor. Clara said one consequence of not having enough nurses on the cell block four comes every morning with the distribution of medication. We're supposed to give medication to inmates by 8 a.m., but sometimes they get them as late as 11, and inmates aren't getting seen in a timely manner at all. Many lawsuits against Corizon from across the country are related to delays in getting proper medication or medical treatment. Though Clara says she's never seen any intentional abuses like those that are alleged uh, in a recent investigation in Fresno County, California, she said giving nurses and nurse practitioners the resources they need would make them better able to care for inmate patients. The negotiation between Corizon and National Union of Healthcare Workers has dragged on for nearly a year. Stuck in disagreements over the high cost of health insurance for the nurses and low staffing levels leading to unsafe conditions for medical staff and jail inmates alike, hanging over the tense situation is a growing cloud of lawsuits filed against Corizon for abuse, neglect, and wrongful death of those in their care. The National Union of Healthcare Workers filed a strike uh, strike notice last December, but a federal mediator asked for a cooling-off period to allow both sides to come to the table. Months later, little has progressed, and nurses are once again circulating a petition in support of a possible strike. Within the next week, if the members vote in favor, they will submit the petition to the county sheriff and the board of supervisors to alert them of their decision. As of now, the union reports almost 100% support for the strike. <laughs> the nurses' hopes... The nurses hopes this will pressure Corizon to meet their demands. Nurses never want to strike, but this is such an extreme situation that they're willing to draw attention to a bad provider. The staffing situation in the jails is in crisis right now. RNs are responsible for giving medications to more than 100 patients a day at a time when Corizon's profits are unprecedented. It's time for Corizon to make less of a profit. Get more people, do better job. I mean, the same story, same old, same old. We understand so we talked about Santa Rita, what she was talking about um, with the uh, Fresno situation. Uh, uh, this was from, um, this is pretty recent also. Um, 
In Fresno, California, an inmate with a degenerative spinal disease says that Corizon doctor took his wheelchair away in retaliation for his previous complaints about her, her service. When detectives with the Fresno County Sheriff's Office investigated the complaint, they found the company had also appeared to have falsified and altered the inmates' medical records to cover up the abuse as documented in a search warrant revealed by the local ABC channel. These allegations come just four months after Corizon took over operations at the jail in Fresno County. A $100 million contract they won based largely on a promise to save Fresno $5 million, over a funky $5 million. Nearby California counties have found that the lawsuits against the company for the death of inmates can make an originally cheap contract quite expensive. The company paid the largest wrongful death settlement in state history in February to Alameda County and promised to end its cost-cutting tactic of using less trained vocational nurses instead of registered nurses. Corizon also paid a settlement last week. The amount is secret to the family of... I mean, come on, man. Anyway, we talked about Jarrell Hammond out of uh, Minnesota in his case, actually, um, where he begged them to take him to the emergency room before he died from those blood clots that he was he was suffering with. And uh, they actually... Um, that actually ended the, the relationship Minnesota had with Corizon. They didn't renew their contract. It says the case follows several other wrongful death and neglect lawsuits against the company from other inmates um, and their families that have been filled in re- uh, filed in recent years, including a case in which Corizon staff put a note reading Faker in a suffering inmate's medical file, then later destroyed the note when he became paralytically, partially paralyzed, I'm sorry, due to lack of treatment. See what we're talking about? This is Eighth Amendment, this is Eighth Amendment violations. This is actual constitutional law. These are violations of people. How the hell is that not cruel and unusual punishment? How is that not breach of some kind of a contract? How is this not criminally, you know, prosecutable? People, we've got to ratchet it up right now. Let me calm down because I'm about to go into a whole nother, and I got little time. So let me just tell myself to calm down and back off. What we're dealing with is with 2.4 million of us incarcerated and with 9 million of us in supervised probation and parole care and halfway houses and all of this associated state agencies and federal agencies overlooking our lives very specifically and keeping us tethered to the justice system. What we're looking at is a complete imbalance of what should be. The, the, the force is out of balance. As, as Yoda would say, I mean, this is the people that are doing the illegal activities. See, if I sell you a 20 bag of weed, and if I have a, a, a 380 under the mat in my on the floor of my car, and I sell you a $20 bag of weed, and the cop pulls me over and says, okay, I just saw a hand-to-hand transfer. I'm going to need to search the car. Oh, I found a gun. Well, now you're going down for having a the, the uh, weed sales, I got two or three other baggies in the ashtray. I was going to make a couple stops. So now I got uh, this, this uh, distri- uh, intent to distribute the narcotic class, whatever felony, uh, grade, drug, you know, all this kind of crap they got, and the multipliers and the mandatory minimums and all this stuff. And I'm looking at five to ten fed time now. This is, I would say, probably uh, at least 50% of how people end up in these situations. I'm pretty sure that's got to be at least 50%. I'll back it off to 40. Still, that's a huge number of people that get that get caught up in that kind of manner. That's not really promoting uh that's not really crime. Newsflash. 
that's not really affecting quality of life of our society. That's not really bothering people. That's somebody getting some gas money so they can go to work. That's somebody, you know, getting a little cash so they can go to the grocery store, get some food, and feed their family that night, and then go to work. But you're caught up, and now you're kicked out, and, and this is what we allow. This is what dominates our system. And so now this person who was selling, you know, $100 worth of weed a week to supply themselves with some weed to smoke. So you say so you, you buy a quarter pound for a couple hundred dollars, and then you sell some 20 bags to pay for that quarter pound, and then you keep the breast for yourself, and that's what you smoke, and you got some gas money or whatever you make. It's just, it's just, it's just, this is what people tend to pretty much do. I know I'm not sitting here in some foreign world where what I have seen, hell, what I have done myself is some kind of way foreign to most of you people. When when I was involved in that world as a, as a teen and late teen or getting into the 20s and all of that, the primary people that was interested in that was the white kids in this suburban Johnson County area of Kansas that I lived in. Yes, I'm blowing the whistle. It was the kids I graduated high school with that went off to KU, went off to K-State, went to do whatever. We all was going to school and going on with our lives or whatever. I happen to know people that could get things. They was the ones that could get liquor. We would party together, whatever. This is not criminal nation. Yeah, when a person gets shot eight times in the back, now suddenly anything I just described is an explanation for why I deserve to die. But before those shots come, it's me assimilating into the culture I grew up in. It's me being a part of my community. It's me being friends with the people I was friends with when I was in school. So now I change and I don't want to party. Well, nah, man. I mean, I'm cool. What do you need? Well, man, give me a 20 bag. Okay, I'll get you a 20 bag. We'll come over. We're partying. I got the liquor. Okay. None of us are 21, but all right, so we're going to be drinking liquor. This is not some bizarro world. But in the black community, it's a whole lot of millions of people that have been locked up for that exact behavior. So I'm saying this to say, we are on the wrong side of the equation. We're on the wrong side of the issue. When you are talking about a company like Horizon, state to state to state, murdering people, and there is no one associated with these corporations facing criminal charges, convicted of criminal offenses. This is just one company, Corizon. We can name off the countless names of on the list of all the vendors, some kind of way or another responsible and complicit in murder or the deaths of individuals held in custody. We do it here all the time. We could talk about the, 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 uh, the guards themselves. We could talk about the administrative staff. Hell, the Atlanta public school teachers case, the RICO case, the RICO state, state of Georgia, RICO expert. I think his name was John Fowler or something like that. Anyway, he's supposed to be the expert and he was called by the prosecution to come in as a special prosecutor and associate of the case of how they could bring down all these teachers for lying on these tests. They didn't prosecute the people because the kids didn't know how to read. They didn't go after the people because the children were not properly educated and weren't prepared to go out into the world and, and go find a job or, or go to college or do anything to better the society. They didn't go after them for that. They went after them because they sat up here and lied on some standardized tests to justify themselves even continuing to have a job. If the test scores aren't good enough, you won't be retained. If the test scores aren't good enough, that's a financial incentive to your paycheck. 
you won't be getting paid. We already know teachers are classically, by cliche, underpaid. So now you're talking about cutting into my pay even more if these kids don't get this certain score, and then the superintendent is forcing my principals to force me to do it too, and you got me on a RICO charge over that? But Horizon can put out white papers and put out statements to say, oh, we're dedicated to proper care of the people and we love the people and we're going to give health care and we're going to be sure that we take care of our people and we're going to make sure that our staff is trained and blah, 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 blah. And you got hundreds and hundreds of people literally dying, but there ain't no criminal charges there. People were on the wrong side of the equation. And what's missing is you kicking some ass. So all that's missing, really. It's a little intestinal fortitude, a little gumption, a little boot to ass. Hey, Mr. Politician, you want my vote? Hey, uh, Mr. City Councilman, you want that chair? Mr. City Manager, you want that position, do you? You see what happened in Ferguson when the DOJ report came out. Suddenly, none of those people's jobs was lifetime. None of those people's jobs, they were all expendable. They magically, they all just went away. Shadows and illusions of authority that are dispelled when the truth comes out. What they say, light is the best at disinfectant. When the light is shined on the BS, those people went away. In your city right now, Washington, D.C., we talked about, where they're fighting over the $66 million contract to, to sign up with Corizon. Their city council's fighting it. Fresno signed, or was it Alameda? One of the cities we just talked about, Corizon, signed a $100 million contract. They signed up for it. And people are dying there. So it's like I'm taking you through baby steps, kindergarten steps of how to break this down. Care about people first. Then when people are locked up and then caught up in these situations, care about how the policing is even, is even happening, how they're being engaged by the police. Care about that. Care about their treatment once they are in custody. Care about who the vendors are who are coming in and soaking up hundreds of millions of your taxpayer dollars out of your state budget. Care about that. Care about how much your state elected officials even allocate to the budget for the Department of Corrections in the first place, as opposed to education, as opposed to mental health care, as opposed to social safety net programs like drug addiction treatment, like alcoholism or treatment, like job creation. Care about these things and you can dismantle the system. Being an abolitionist does not always and not exclusively have to mean that you take on some John Brown, go out and cut off some heads and shed blood and then martyr yourself and get put up on the, the tree yourself and hung. And then we just got to talk about the case of when you went off and killed a few people. I mean, I'm not going to shed tears over it. I'm not going to be sad that you killed those people. Hell, I don't, I fight it every day. I don't want to end up being in that situation myself. If I don't see anything change, it, I get upset about this because this is my world. This is the only life I get, the only experience I get on planet Earth. I love the Earth. I love nature. I mean, I love it, like, for real. I could, for real, live in the in the woods. Bugs don't bother me. Mosquito bites don't trouble me. I'm naturally acclimated to fishing, hunting, foraging, building stuff out of the natural resources and minding my own business. 
I love the songs of the birds and the trees. I love the meditation. I don't get nothing out of being in this society. I have there's this it does more to damage me as an individual to be a part of this. It's weighing me down. It's destroying me. I feel like the uh, the the Mr. Smith in the Matrix where he rubbed the sweat off of Morpheus's head and it's like just the stench, you know? It's like you're a virus or something. That's how I feel about a lot of what I see going on in that way. You hear me talk about it every day. Hell, I rant about this foolishness two hours a day every single day of the week. You should know. It pisses me all the way off. I'm not just a little upset. I can't stand this madness. This is not real. This is not righteous. This is not what life should even be about. But ignoring it is perpetuating it. So there's a term that people discuss in the faith communities talk about the Antichrist. And there's, there's this big deal about, um, you know, the Antichrist coming and the spirit of the Antichrist coming into the world. People that read the Bible know of this. And people that, that don't necessarily fo- follow the faith, you've all seen the Damien, the Omen movies, and, you know, this big deal about the Antichrist coming or whatever. And as I was growing up, I used to think, you know, or would believe, you know, the Antichrist is this this direct enemy of, you know, this messianic figure of, of this Jesus Christ. He's, it's like a Godzilla versus some, some monster or something. It's a big fight. They gotta have this Antichrist. He, he hates Christ. He wants to fight Christ. But as I studied more deeply, as I got older, um, the actual word Antichrist and it's, in the words it's translated from, this does not mean anti as in openly opposition to Christ. This means, this means instead of. As in, it's just another option. It's just something else you can do. Yes, ultimately you can only do one thing at a time. So if I say I'm going to walk to the store, and if the store is two blocks to the north, but I go and I walk five blocks to the south, and there's no store in that direction, I'm not walking to the store. I said I was going to the store, but I'm walking five blocks the wrong direction. So this would be like an antichrist. Like the, it's instead of going where I said I was going, I'm going another way. So it doesn't mean I'm violently oppressing myself or opposing myself and it's some kind of fight has to kick off or whatever. It just means instead of doing something, and we consider the Christ figure, the Christ idea to be righteousness or truth or justice, you know, law, lawful, law-abiding, law productive, healthy, sustainable, this is the things we associate with this. So my point in bringing this up is our society is dominated by this spirit of this anti-righteous, anti, you know, healthy, anti-sustainability. We're, we're, we're not considering ourselves to be openly fighting against what's right. Like I said, the person who works at Corizon considers themselves to be right because they got a degree. They've got a good job. The people that work for these corrections corporations, they have good jobs. They take care of their families. They coach their kids' soccer team. They put everybody up in their four-door pickup truck that they can afford from paychecks they earn working for prison slavers. So ultimately what you're doing, see, we need to look at the nature of the thing. What is its purpose? What, what does it really do? Not what does it look like. We're a nation of symbols and symbolism. An entire population of, of people that just thinks in terms of what you see 
is what it must be. But every single time what you're looking at ain't what it really is. And what that allows is the evil to continue to perpetuate under the cover of something that looks like something that it is actually the opposite of. These look like good jobs, but they're actually slavery. They look like good corporate opportunities, but it's actually murder. They look like money-saving contracts with corporate vendors, private vendors. You're promoting conservatism. But what it is, is selling out the taxpayers and, com and being complicit with murderers for a savings of $5 million, which you're going to get sucked up in the first $100 million lawsuit. Are you following me? It looks one way, but what it is is something completely different. And what it really is, is destroying our communities. It's destroying our quality of life. Yeah, you might work for Corizon, and yeah, you might got a, 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 a leased bins you're driving, and yeah, you might got a nice condo and some cool clothes, and yeah, you're going to take pictures and post them on Instagram from when you took your trip to Tahiti or whatever, because you got this great life. But you multiply times a hundred million of us, and we're all going to hell in a handcart, following what you do. And there's millions of people that work in these kind of capacities. There's millions of people participating in the American dream, in the American economy, from this very perspective. That's winning to people. That's winning. I'm winning. I got a great job. I got a great contract, man. I got a great opportunity to go against humanity for my own personal interest. And because you love me, you're obligated to support that. I'm your son. I'm your nephew. I'm your husband. Don't you trust me? Look how I provide. And then on election day, we're going to go vote. We don't got a clue what's on that ballot, but we know Republican. We know Democrat. Oh, we're libertarians. We know to vote Green Party. We know to vote Independent. Don't have a clue what's on that ballot. You don't have a clue what's beyond the first two names on the ballot. All the people down the line, all the judges and prosecutors and special this and special that and facilitators of your actual government is affecting you locally to completely clueless of where they stand. Oh, I didn't know this guy was a lobbyist for Geo Group for five years. Hmm. I wonder what agenda he's going to push when he gets in office. Oh, there goes a hundred million dollars out of my state budget going to pay for Corizon. Oh, there goes sixty million dollars out of our state budget going to go Geo Group's building a halfway house here. Oh, there goes another hundred million dollars. And it continues to erode your actual life. Now your forty thousand dollar individual job, now your sixty thousand dollar individual job really ain't paying for a quality of life, is it? Your tax money is getting soaked right out of you. You can't even bring it in fast enough. Services going away. People need help in the community. Can't get it. What are you going to do? Move to another community? Move further away from the people? It's just going to follow you. At some point, people, and I and I and I, I, I go off into all of this and try to explain these things out and 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 show this. 
because yeah sure the stories are good to tell you so you can be informed of what's going on I mean that's obviously what one of the main primary objectives of the program is to just inform you of the news it's the abolitionist daily it's a daily news broadcast giving you daily reports from the headlines from the war front yes but sometimes we also got to look at it from a standpoint of explaining to you what the hell is going on. It's not just to give you news sound bites and read to you articles off of websites. If we're not seeing change, then clearly people still don't know what they're looking at. So maybe it's something about the way these news stories are written. That the specific language used, maybe it's some kind of mathematics or something. I don't know. I mean, it's always some kind of secret code to the whatever. So maybe there's some way the words are put together and the way that the, 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 the mathematics and the numerology is something to where when people read this stuff, it doesn't affect, you know, their real mind. It doesn't connect with their actual soul. It's just academics and it's numbers and it's some kind of spell or something, maybe. Maybe that's what the problem is. But what I'm not going to do is just sit and read to you news story after news story after news story and don't explain to you what's actually going on and the quality of life that we are robbing ourselves of by just sitting up here participating in it so that's why I didn't get any further into but I feel like we covered you know the airmark and the Corizon situations um, there's enough information from just today that I mean I can still bring back some of this stuff for tomorrow but as we get ready to close let me give you today's unexplainable black death profile. Laval Hall, 25 years old, mentally ill brother. Um, he was involved in a tense and fatal encounter with an officer, Edo Tremino, in February. He was partially, this was now found to have been partially captured on a patrol car dash cam video, which was released just yesterday, uh, April 8th, for the first time by his family. The 19-minute video was clear this enough to see muzzle flashes. Jack and flying shell casings but it also leaves enough unseen to only add to the controversy surrounding a shooting Hall's grieving family believes the video particularly a clip of their attorneys that their attorneys had produced in slow motion shows that Tremino used excessive force and had no need to fire his weapon I was outraged furious devastated and very emotional they killed him they murdered him said Melissa Edwards the mother of Hall's 8 year old daughter yet police union representatives and Tremino's attorneys see the video through a different lens arguing it vindicates the officer who they say feared for his life as he retreated from Hall after issuing precise and stern commands that were disobeyed. You're trained to shoot at the center body mass, so it's going to be a bit of a lower trajectory of the gun, said Tremino's attorney. He's not shooting at eye level. That's in the movies. The video justifies the officer's actions. You can see his fear. This rare pretrial release of the dash cam video comes at a particularly touchy time for police only a day after North Charleston police officer Michael Thomas Slager was charged with murder by South Carolina law enforcement. So as I said, this brother had a broomstick supposedly in his hand. They just had the videotape come out. It doesn't even really show him, but it does show the cop. And you hear the cop cussing him out, telling him what the F to do and get the F down and this kind of thing. He's dead and gone now, so I mean all the whys and hows and all of that really don't matter, does it? Only thing matters is who we save for tomorrow. Who are you gonna save for tomorrow, abolitionists? That's all we got for today. This is the abolitionist daily. This is Johan and Elia. Peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors. I am out.
Marcus Aurelius, 